Welcome to the Zulu Time podcast, a straight talking conversation between two watch enthusiasts about the world of military watches. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Zulu Time podcast with your host Dan from at Timely underscore moments. Who ever thought that you'd get to 50 episodes of listening to my voice ranting on about military watches? Either way, I'm really pleased because it means I'm either doing something right or you're just that bored that you're going to continue listening to me anyway. So um, just a quick podcast update for you. Um, I've got the patches that came in from Carl over at Pagoda Patches. Um, So I've done a special run of effectively blue light edition patches. So you would have seen on today's post this afternoon slash evening, uh, a, a photo of the current Zulu Time podcast design, which is a, a take on the whole U, UK, US flag patch that is synonymous with um, the military uh, and joint operations, um, just with the Zulu Time podcast effectively logo being a broad arrow on there. Um, Each diagonal stripe is obviously a different color for the blue light services. Um, I don't have one for search and rescue. Uh, It's not because I don't value the search and rescue. It's more that this run, this particular run of blue light patches were done as gifts for family members who are in blue light services or close friends who support the podcast. Um, And they wanted something different. And I thought it was a really good opportunity to obviously highlight what they do and give them a a cool patch. Um, I've had feedback through um, the Instagram page about these patches. Um, If you think it's worth it, I'm more than happy to do a run of them. I just don't really know how, uh, mainly because I don't actually know what you all do as jobs. And secondly, I don't think it's a lucrative thing to sell or give away. So I'm open for suggestions. I mean, I think they're quite a cool run of patches and I'm more than happy to bring out a blue light edition every so often, you know, run of the patches, but it's more how we're going to go about it. So I'm open to suggestions on that, but really pleased for the patches to come in. And then obviously every interviewee um, who comes on the podcast will basically get the newest version of the patch as standard. So that's it really. Um, today's episode, I've got a special guest on um, today. Um, it's Alistair. So Alistair um, heads up the ATG Vintage Watches Forum. He's also uh, produced a book called Chasing Time, and he's also had some involvement with Bramont. And obviously, as you guys all know, I'm a bit of a Bramont junkie. I like special projects. I like talking about watches, and I like talking about vintage watches as well. So I thought, why not get Alistair on? Because he's a pretty interesting guy, um, and you know, he's clearly more knowledgeable than me. So without further ado, Alistair, how are you, mate? I'm okay, thanks. Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, it's happy to be here. Good. Um, obviously, this isn't your first podcast because I've heard you on the Land Jam podcast before, which is um, yeah. always good. But hopefully, um, you know, you, you won't feel the need to drink a bottle of wine uh, halfway through <laughs> this episode. I don't um, know. We'll have to see. We'll we? have to see. We'll have to see. But, I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past you if you get that bored. It might liven the episode up. So you never know. Um, no, but uh sorry water only oh water only oh yeah no I, I'd, I'd allow you to have have a whiskey it's fine <laughs> we regularly talk about whiskey you know that's also right. a, a wa- okay. that, that, that's like obviously a, a watch hashtag, hashtag as well isn't it uh, whiskey and watches oh, um right. anyway um before we start uh pretty standard customary uh, tradition it's probably the only tradition in what 
watch podcasting that this uh, my podcast has, and it's obviously the standard wrist check. So, as you're the guest, Alistair, what watch do you have on your wrist today? Uh, I'm, I've got a the Aquastar Deep Star twenty one. So nice. You were saying earlier about the um, you know, that where am I? You're there. Oh, I can see it. Yes. Yeah. I've the, seen uh, those. I've never seen one like in the flesh, as it were. Um, but they look really good. You know. Yeah, they're pretty good. I I had uh, I had a load of the vintage ones years ago, um, and uh, it's pretty much the same watch, but they've just made it a little. They have to make it a little bit bigger because it's got an auto movement in it. Mm-hmm. which makes the movement deeper by yeah. like 25 percent so and uh yeah it's pretty cool actually yeah um yeah i kind of rotate between i've got well i've got a lot you know i've got a lot of watches but i rotate i i wear modern watches mostly yeah uh you know just day to day really because yeah. the thing about restoring a vintage watch is you put a lot into it and then you and you make it perfect, then you put it on, and then when you're busy running about, you know, you whack it against the door frame or something, and you're like, you know, that can end up being another restoration project in itself. So I just uh, largely wear vintage ones. I rotate between um, a, a few Bremonts I've got. There's, there's uh, a Jag Bremonts on my desk as well. Nice. And uh, oh, and a Seiko. Oh, very nice. I also like Seikos on this uh, this podcast too. Yeah, well, I have a whole thing about joking about a Seiko that I don't like them because uh, the book that I did, I didn't put any Seikos in the book. People <laughs> think that I curated all these watches together, but what I did was, yeah, you know, because I ran this vintage restoration business. The book is just a product of watches that came through the business, um, yeah. and when it came out, I got all those people hassling me. There's no Seiko. There's no Seiko. And the reason why there wasn't was because a lot of those, a lot of the watches that I've done, um, I did about, I've done about six or 700 watches. There's mm-hmm. about 20 in that book. And um, the Seikos, there was, you know, it was a business. There was no money in them. Yeah. You know, you'd, uh, you'd put a lot of work into them and um, it would, uh, you, you would, you couldn't cover the costs of you doing the work yeah. at the time. So, we just didn't use Seiko. I mean, I could buy a Seiko for $150, right? Yeah. Or you might be able to get a Hoyer Octavia for 600 Yeah. So, or, or 500 or even less. So, you know, you just, Seiko didn't, didn't, just didn't come into it. Yeah. But vintage Seiko is quite difficult to do in Britain because it's difficult to get the, the any of the vintage parts. Yeah, I've had, uh, um, I say, a problem. I've had to send one of my vintage Seikos off and um, a part of it to get it sorted was I also had to buy a donor watch to as yeah. for potential pieces that it may or may not need. Yeah, um, effectively, a lot of work, doesn't it? Yeah, effectively, the, the crown has managed to decouple itself so it doesn't do anything, which is obviously well, annoying. Yeah. Well, the thing is, the Seiko watches were really cheap when they were made. Yeah, yeah. They weren't made to last forever. I no, mean, no. You know, the Hoyer watches weren't made to last forever. No. Uh, the Amiga, but this thing is because they were, uh, you know, the Seiko were pitched to hit that, you know, you know, it's like Honda did motorbikes to hit the 125, you know, the everyday man bike. That's yeah, what's yeah, yeah. The idea that they're supposed to last forever is a bit silly. So yeah, yeah. 
the whole thing about um, you know the, what they call the Willard watch yeah. stuff. Well, you know, I restored one of those for a friend of a friend of mine who was a clearance diver. Yeah, and uh, and he said to me, "Yeah, I wore it, but I flooded it almost." <laughs> And yeah. he said it never really worked properly. Mm. He said it was it was fine and it was quite rugged, but no watches do very well getting whacked against the size of a side of a ship. No. You know, or you know, if you're on a ship, you're completely surrounded by steel. Yeah. And when when you see these perfect military watches that are apparently being worn on ship. Uh, well, yeah. on anything. I just don't mm. well, I don't think so. I mean, yeah. a lot of vintage stuff's become curated now over the years because I was in this at the beginning of the of the internet, mm -hmm. really doing it, really being able to sell watches. And you never saw military watches that were all mint. No, because they've been used. Yeah, you'd see ones that, like, I got it. I had to pay for it myself. So I bought a Seiko and never wore it. You saw them. Yeah. And you saw ones that were out, you know, older ones that were out of stores that came in the original boxes and stuff like that. You did see that. But what you, particularly with military watches, you did see a lot of parts on eBay, mm -hmm. a lot of dials, a lot of cases, a lot of crystals, well, yeah. a lot yeah. of handsets. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, all this, these names that are given to these watches now, like, uh, you know, Mega 53 Fat Arrow. You could buy those handsets. And yeah. those movements were in lots of Amiga watches. Yeah, yeah. You could buy the cases as well. Yeah. I'd be quite interested to see how many collections of the Dirty Dozen that people have got, even though oh, there's more than 12, but nobody yeah. talked about that either. I mean, the amount of uh, Jaeger Cultura, the small Jaeger Cultura ones, mm. right? Well, they're brass, right? And yeah. I've never seen one that wasn't brass. Yeah. All the edges were taken off it. Mm. If you see them now, there's a lot of them have got perfect <laughs> Yeah, a lot of them are re-chromed. They've all been re-chromed. I mean, I, yeah. there were guys here in Bristol who I went to see about... I wasn't, I wasn't doing stuff like that. I went to see about re-chroming some, um, some really nice little vintage chronographs that I bought as part of a, a large lot. And they were really lovely, but they were, they, the cases had been really knackered. And I mm -hmm. thought, well, I'll, I'll you know, as an experiment, I'll I'll see about see if I can get them recrowned. And these guys who do that kind of work, they're doing like bridges and massive machine parts, and they were not interested. But by now, we they they will be, you know. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. like I I customized some Amiga uh, Mark Twos, uh, had them PVD coated by a guy called Jack Alexon in um, uh, International Watch in the US who did gun parts, you know, he'd like PVD coast a slide on a SIG or, or whatever. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't that expensive for me to send these watches to him and for him to be, because they were all knackered, you know, you, mm. you couldn't recover the cases then. Um, and he'd be blast the case and then PVD mat it and it in black and it'd be great, you know, because it wasn't mm. that expensive. Thing is, you know, getting get a watch PVD coated now is pretty expensive. Mm. And it's kind of I know I know someone who's because I've there's something in my book, and I know um, Emil or one of the guys, one of the Scandinavian guys, I think he is, or I think he might be Belgian, um, has just had one made, and he followed the same the the same track that I did, you know, use the same guys and stuff, and just you know, it's in in nearly twenty years, it's doubled in price. It's more than yeah. doubled. So, you know. But yeah, I, I do see a lot of these watches and think, 
How is it in such good condition? Yeah, because it's, you know I mean? uh, yeah, it's been uh, put together, should we say. Yeah, well, I mean, I, and again, I'm not too bothered about that because, you know, um, the, the watches are, you know, they're like cars. You, you know, you send them back or, you know, the watchmakers would order the, the would speak to the, the manufacturer and order the dials in or the hands or whatever they needed and they'd replace them. And I don't have a problem with that. What mm-hmm. I do have is seeing watches for sale that are, they, and then being told, well, some story about them. It's very original and, and the patina and all this kind of stuff. It's like, that's not true. The hand, mm. uh, handsets, especially on military watches, because military watches weren't made to be expensive. No, no. And this, but, is, a, it, this is it. People forget that they were made to the lowest bidder because the MOD has historically been cheap. So, yeah, well, all, well, all the military guys are like yeah. that. You know, um, all the military stuff i mean apart from you do have you'll go well, what about the germans well they were rearming to take over western europe so mm. they they th- that's why their watches were all so good mm. um you know and you say oh the french and Breguet, and go yeah well what happened to the french air force just disappeared right yeah um whereas our stuff was being used all the time so you know what what i mean and also like the manual wind amiga movements that were used in those in those watches or even the standard they were they were they weren't all made by amiga but you know like timor and yeah you know and 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 you know the, i know sema and all these other there were big watch manufacturers who made really good movements who supplied all these companies so mm-hmm. the quality was the movement quality was high anyway it yeah. was meant to keep good time it wasn't meant to look good yeah, yeah. you know what i mean so you know, at the time, a classy watch was gold. Yeah. There were no classy stainless steel watches. Yeah. Like, well, that's a working watch. Why would you want to wear that? So, yeah. So, but they're, they're just, I mean, they're just my thoughts. I mean, there are undoubtedly collections of, of military watches that are all completely authentic. But yeah. there's a whole lot of military collectors that are not online anymore. They stopped talking about them because what was happening is dealers were, zoning in on it and unscrupulous dealers mm-hmm. and and also people who were faking them they they go oh crap you know they put up here's an original i mean there are original photos of, of in my book of of vintage um you know their their uh military issue numbers on the back and i yeah. went through the whole thing about whether i should blur them out or not yeah and i thought well there's loads of people have done it because then you know people were faking these watches. yeah you know i mean like you know, as much as you see like a fake Rolex, I've seen loads of fake Tudor Submariners from the 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, like you said, it's not hard effectively to um, engrave the back of these watches. At, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, to, the same, to the same level. how it's done, because there's different yeah, yeah. engraving, and if they see how it's done, because I, you know, you, you, I, I remember in the early 2000s, you'd see watches with, um, a famous one was fake uh, Seamaster 300 cases. Mm-hmm. And then someone pointed out that there was an extra letter in Seamaster. I think it was Seamaster. <laughs> you know, in the in the engraved around the around the back, and they have yeah, the, yeah. Or the 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 sea monster, wherever it is. And there was an extra letter in it. And it was like, and that's where that joke about Rolex with two E's came from, because mm. we were like, oh, is that a Rolex? And, and we type on the forums. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of funny. That's yeah, funny. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, that's my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I started this forum 
in 2002. The mm -hmm. one I've got there is still there. I think that's the newer ones that I, I just transferred it over in like 2008 or, or whatever. Yeah, I, I only know it. Oh, so I've only been collecting since 2012. So yeah. I would have only I would have only known it in its guise now. Um, yeah. So yeah. It, it's good. I mean, I, I think forums are really good for just going back and reading through threads, you know, and it's, there's a lot of free information there, you know, and yeah. I said, if, if, if you are hell bent on collecting a particular watch, you know, it doesn't have to, you know, for my listeners, it doesn't have to be a military, be a military watch, but if it's any watch that's really quite niche, invariably yeah. somewhere on a um on a forum somewhere uh, will be a thread it doesn't have to be a long thread you know but you just have to effectively hunt for it and you will find some information someone someone else out there would have tried to find that watch or own that watch or want the question answered about that watch that you're after and you'll be able to yeah, find but you, photos I, and, and it's also like you get a general feel for it as yeah. well i think yeah. i think that's the important thing because i don't think any of that stuff is like well these guys said this so because uh, that's a th thing that I find quite funny now that people are really being experts about vintage watches mm. and and I'm like well we were expert about them 15 years ago and yeah. we still didn't think we were experts because the information is not right you know yeah people who write things in books not often the books are correct if you get it from there and therefore People write things on forums. You know, there were, mm -hmm. there were guys who were caught out writing stuff on forums who were basically shilling watches to, to, and they were fakers, you know. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, and some of that stuff's still up there. I mean, at the time, the forums really were just, it was a bit of a voyage of discovery because the whole world wasn't online. Yeah. It was either you were technical enough to know. Yeah. Um, you had access, big pipe access to the internet, like me. Yeah. So yeah. I worked for TV. So I, I had like 10 meg broadband in like 98. Mm -hmm. like, no one had that. No, no, no. TV did, military, probably not even sure what the military did, but they probably had something. Mm, the military, oh, I mean, probably on somewhere. Wind you know. powered. Yeah, uh, but de definitely not, definitely not to access watch forums. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm. And, I'm I'm thinking of one of the operating systems that I worked on this, on on a platform, uh, and I've only just left that platform. As you know, people who follow the podcast know that I'm almost on a, on a new career course. Um, but the base operating system for this platform was initially started on Windows 95, and the platform came loosely came into existence in like 2012. And you're like, why? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't worry too much about that because many moons ago, 20 years ago, well, actually, right, 20, 2002, I was still working at Sky making sure that their commercials went out correctly. Mm. And their entire system was linked to an early MS-DOS network system. Brilliant. And the, they opened this new transmission center, which looked, looked really flash. Mm. But it was actually all network connected to their basically the sales offices, you know, the kind of office people. And oh, someone, yeah. someone opened the um, was it the I Love You? Uh, oh yeah. yeah, thing? yeah. Well, it yeah. shut down Sky for like twelve hours. Brilliant. So someone half a mile away opened up, like their friends sent them an email, and they went. 
oh, I'll open this. And they went click, click on whatever it was. And it went straight through the system, all the way to the other side of the campus and wiped out their transmission center. Brilliant. Because they Amazing. literally just started broadcasting off servers and mm. shut them all down. Quite Amazing. <laughs> That's a true story. Yeah. yeah. Well, they phoned everyone. You got to get in. You got to get in because we had to start changing tapes. Yeah. Like we did. Well, I'd done it because I worked in TV since in the late eighties. But we had loads of people going. Uh, no, I pressed the buttons. No, no, you're gonna have to put tapes and machines and and do it properly. <laughs> you're it's like what? It's like yeah. It's like oh, I was like sure, I'll be easy. Just do that. Yeah, That's quite probably... funny. Mm. I had a I had a similar thing in work. Um, about a year ago, we were. Um, getting rid of like loads of you know old CDs out the office and all that kind of shit and just random shit that obviously clearly just uh, you know accrues itself in in military offices because like you said we've got such a fl high fl fluctuation of personnel in and out all the time that things just get left there and mm. uh, someone found a stack of floppy disks which is quite funny and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah so so the running joke was who remembers using these yeah, um, yeah. And we walked in, and uh, one of my ex colleagues is she's out now, and she's actually a firefighter now. Um, she uh, looked at that and went, "What? What is that?" And we're like, "It's a floppy disk, you know." And we met, laugh, and joke about how it had some like four meg of like you know data on it or whatever. Yeah. And she was like, "That's not a well, no, it's not." And we're like, "What do you mean it's not a floppy disk?" And she was like, "That's the save icon on Mac Microsoft Word. That's the only <laughs> thing that she yeah, that's the only thing that she could equate that to." And it's just like, that is a generational gap there, right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, when we were, uh, when we would move very large images around um, in TV, so I worked in a kind of like a visual effects place. Mm -hmm. um, we still had Winchester drives in plastic cases that you push the whole thing into. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, and it was because it was super reliable. Yeah. So they were, and also they were really expensive when they first came out. And yeah. so... You wouldn't just go, oh, it's okay. We just go to this now. It's a new, possibly unstable platform. Yeah. You know, um, so we kept the old stuff for quite a long time. So that, yeah, I think that we, we like make stuff out of them, you know, like shelving units out of <laughs> what yeah. used to be Winchester drives that cost about a thousand quid each. We'd be like, well, let's not waste them, you know. Kind of <laughs> yeah, let's let's reuse them. Let's turn them into something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Re retasking. Yeah. yeah. So that's where that's what my background is. So yeah, I, I basically was TV, and then I, I was interested in watches, and I used to fly around the place. Mm -hmm. uh, what, and I buy watches. So, what what was your your first watch then that you you bought? Oh, just like everyone else, I think my first no, my first watch. My dad gave it to me. Mm. Was um, it was in the late seventies, and my brother got the same thing, which was like a. A Casio, it wasn't a calculator watch, but you know, suddenly you had yeah. a watch, right? That you could press a button and it would light up. Yeah, and you're like, what? I was like, is what? This? Yeah, yeah, this is fucking Top amazing. Watch, slap timer, all that. And I was like, oh my God, look at me. And of course, mm. like being, you know, given to sort of a 10 year old kid, they lasted about a year and a half. Yeah. I, I remember even smashing the, um, the, the crystal. Mm. And so I, I got a cassette box, which was the only Perspex that was available to me. And with a heated knife, cut it out, replaced the crystal. <laughs> yeah, which lasted about, I don't know, day and a half, maybe yeah. a week. Yeah. yeah, so that was my, and then I bought a swatch, I think. So when I was, I went to Berlin, uh, West Berlin when I was 18, and that was still 
when it was uh, divided, know, Cold War, and yeah. all that. And I had a black swatch. Um, and people, well, I seem to remember people thinking we were very entertained by because it was a waterproof. Yeah. And the idea of waterproof watches for the standard person was quite rare. Yeah. If we go, oh, well, Rolex, well, even even not all Rolexes would maintain waterproof mm. um, ability. And uh, yeah, I seem to remember being in a bar in Berlin that was a beach bar. So it's like November in Berlin. <laughs> a beach bar, bar no one, no one near the beach. This bar's got like 20 centimeters of sand all over it. Yeah. All over the floor. And yeah. we were advised to take our shoes off. <laughs> I'm standing with like a leather jacket on and a, a big scarf because it's freezing outside. Yeah. Jeans rolled up, bare feet, with people plonking my watch in different people's beers because <laughs> it was waterproof. Which they all thought was quite entertaining. But yeah. I was only 18 and I thought, well, yeah. Yeah, so they were the kind of my first memory of watches. I had an Ingersoll pocket watch as well, which was absolutely useless. Mm. Um, but my first proper watch that I bought, and this is debatable, was I bought myself a Tag 2000 Diver, mm -hmm. Diver um, in Piccadilly in London when I, okay. I, I was 21. And I wore that oh. for a while yeah. until I realised that it was a, you know, quartz watch I should you know and I was I did operational engineering for television so I was a bit you know I thought well I should get something mechanical mm -hmm. so my first proper watch was I bought a Speedy Pro in Hong Kong in 94 when I was working there nice spent about three weeks trying to convince this dealer so I would sit there with cash mm -hmm. and I put it there and, I, and he'd keep going he kept tapping on it going more yeah put a bit more on and then he'd throw me out of the shop <laughs> he did it about three <laughs> times and it became like a thing because I had nothing else to do. I was working, uh, editing commercials. And then it was like, a, you know, when my day finished, that was it. You were like, yeah, yeah. on your own. And I was really young. I was like 25. Yeah. I was like, um, what am I going to do now then? You know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not in work again for another, you know, 16 hours or, or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, I just like bumble around Hong Kong and they paid me in cash, mm. um, which was quite funny because... I uh, I kept locking myself out of the safe in my room, mm. and I'd have to get the manager to come. Can you uh, can you fix you know the safe? And when he opened the safe, it was like stacks of cash. You know, <laughs> made quite a lot of dough, but in cash. Yeah. Um, which was kind of because I was like, oh, I've got to get rid of some of this. I don't want to go through customs with, you know, thirty grand or fifteen grand or whatever it was. It wasn't thirty grand. It was, it was you know, um, yeah. So that was quite funny. Kept having to go like that. Okay, thanks. You can go now. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you know, Al Capone with loads of... Cash. Yeah. Money laundering for watches in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, but I ended up buying a Speedmaster. And he nice. made me, he made, he gave me a deal and I tried to be too clever because I thought I was clever. And then he eventually said to me, <clears throat> this is a brand new watch. Because I kept going, oh, you know, it was all this, you can make a deal in Hong Kong. And he said, this watch that I've got here on the sit opposite me, he said, that's a brand new watch. I have another watch in the back that looks exactly like that, but it's been worn for a year and I've mm. had it cleaned and, and the case repolished really to a level that you would not be able to tell that it's not brand new. If you keep trying to knock your 300 pounds that you think you should get off this watch, that's the watch you're going to get. 
<laughs> and I went, okay, I'll take this one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. And I've I've said that to a few to a few people over the years that it's happened to me. I've had maybe three of the same watch, mm-hmm. and it's a good watch, and it's really well serviced. And my my watchmaker is brilliant. He did all the watches in my book. He's done, as I say, almost every watch that I worked on. Mm-hmm. And I get some guy going, well, I don't want to pay that. And I'm like, yeah, sure, okay, well, you know. That's how much it is. And you're watching to pay that. Well, because this is a watch for the 60s. And you used to you used to have to convince people to buy vintage watches. Yeah. It was unbelievably difficult. And oh well, we should, you know, and I and, and I go, okay, well, there's this one that's got a perfect dial, and then there's this one that's had some water in it at some stage. It's not such a perfect dial. Mm-hmm. So you can have your 50 pounds off, but you're yes. getting that one. Yeah. You know, and and that's why you, that's where you're gonna. You're never gonna get. You're never gonna beat the dealer. No, no. That there's. You know. You ask for a discount, sure. But if you do too much of that, you know, they'll just. And then, and then especially if you're dealing with, um, you know, if you're dealing with a a dealer who's like a, a an authorized dealer. Yeah. Like, there's something to do with. I think with um, like with big brands. If you sell it before below retail price, right? They they may not honor the guarantee. Mm-hmm. And if it's like you know twenty percent off because there was a, it's Christmas and there was a post Christmas and it was a sale, that's okay. But yeah. if you, but how some of these um, shops work is the salesperson will be on a bonus if yeah. they hit their their sales target. Yeah. And what they'll do is they'll take the loss on that sale to gain their bonus. So when people yeah. go, oh, I got 40% off this. Yeah, he did. But he only did it so that he would hit his bonus. And he can't, hasn't told the boss he's done that. Yeah. Because if he tells the boss, the boss knows that the brand is not going to guarantee that watch. Mm. So you know there isn't there's the best thing the, the, the way it works is if you're buying a lot of watches with the same vintage guy or the same yeah. then you'll get a discount and you'll get treated yeah. better but yeah. if you're just joe schmo walks in off the street he's buying one watch yeah. they don't understand that some guys you know there's some city guys will dump half their bonus which might be 50 grand into watches you know, they're every March when they get their city bonus, they'll blow 25 grand on watches. Mm. And, you know, and so the relationship they have with their dealer is completely different to the relationship you're going to have walking in off the street. Yeah, of course. And it's yeah, the course. same with vintage. It's the same with cars. There's always someone who's spending more money than you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I know, but you wouldn't believe him. You'd think that, but I've had loads of people, you know, why should I buy this vintage space compacts? Mm. Well, because it's perfect. Mm. Yeah, but why? Well, because it's one of the coolest watches you can buy. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but why? Why should I pay that for it? And I'm like, well, go and buy it from somewhere else. Well, I've never seen it anywhere else. Well, there yeah, you exactly. Go. Yeah, exactly. If I need to go any further, I don't. I don't think. Yeah. So you know, that's just. These are just my musings mm. of someone who spent, you know, probably more than a million pounds on watches. Mm over the years yeah you know you do you know, think 
obviously, you know, you've also hinted that whole supply and demand with it as well. Not only is there, you know, people spending more money than the average bloke going in and buying one watch, you know, you like you said, you, you know, you've got people who drop a lot of money on multiple watches at any one time, you know, form a better relationship with uh, AD, a dealer, a bit vintage or modern or whatever. But do you also feel that the other, you know, kind of like watch outlets that are out there now have highlighted vintage watches or, you know, or elevated that market to the point where, like you said, you can't move now without, you know, being force fed, go buy a vintage, whatever. Do you think that's also clearly had an effect? Some, yeah, some well, I think, yeah, well, the thing, I think what happened was after 2008, the money crash, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of pure, like, uh, investment came into watches with vintage mm-hmm. watches. And I don't mean uh, people who, who always buy stuff that are going to accrue, because there's always mm-hmm. Who, who put their spare money in things that are going to, you know, because for whatever reason or wherever it comes from, or they had it from their wives or whatever they're doing. Um, yeah. There's always been that. But I mean, um, people who are t- treating it like um, a commodity, commodity yeah. brokers. Uh, what I've noticed is a lot of that. I mean, if you go on, if you go on eBay, but mm. as an example, because it's an easy one to find, you know, Speedmaster Moonwatch or Hoyer Octavia or Hoyer Monaco, there's like 50 or 60 of them. It's like it was when I first used to look at eBay in the late 90s, mm. you know? But if you look at the prices of some of these watches, the same watch will be eight or nine grand and one will be four. Yeah. Well, that's just purely speculating, mm-hmm. especially on something like a, an 861 Speedmaster because they made millions of them. Yeah. There's literally made millions of them. There's no reason why that watch should be more than two grand or two and a half grand. But that's the same for Rolexes as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Samariners. Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. You know, and there's there's all this stuff about, oh, you know, the small R or the Grave accent. That's all to try and give them more cachet to make charge more. I mean, I, I... I never really got that nerdy about. Well, it started. Well, the first time I saw it was with was with Speedmasters, and people started going, "Well, it's a three, two, one Speedmaster with a column wheel movement." Column wheel movement's not as good as the Shulkamp, which came uh-huh. out. It's not as good. It's not as accurate. It doesn't stand up to shocks as well. Yeah. Well, that's it. Is huh? so it's why did you buy? Tech. Yeah, you know, that's it. People. Think, oh because it's older it's like the original ones whatever they like that but then like you said the reason it was developed and they changed how the chronograph operated is because technology advanced and it got better so we'll move yeah, it there's on no, there's, there's no shock that that happened yeah. just about yeah. the time is that of the going to the moon yeah do you know what i mean that they changed yeah. the movement yeah yeah so you know but that but that is not about watch collecting that's about you know, getting something that's, well, this is different. And if you want it, because yeah. it's different, I'm all for that as well. It's just that it doesn't really mean anything. And and also, when I see a lot of this uh, online chat about vintage, you know, I used to buy like 10 Speedmasters at a time in mm. from a guy who dealt with Japanese pawnbrokers. Mm. And I could just call them up and say, can I have 10 of these? And they'd be 
650 pounds each. That's not that long ago. And then suddenly the same thing, someone's trying to tell me it's worth five or six grand. And I'm like, it's not. Mm. I, you know, if you throw that watch against the wall, that movement is going to disintegrate. Yeah. Right? It, 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 a chronic, manual wine chronograph movement is quite robust until you whack it. <laughs> like an yeah. automatic movement is really basic, right? Mm. So you can take an auto dive watch of some kind and throw it against the wall. It's, it might break the rotor pin, you mm. know, or it'll have a bit of a shock in it. You know, that's not the end of the world. And it'll only cost you, well, I, I don't know numbers wise, but it won't cost you that much. Yeah. You take a triple, uh, you take a, a triple co compact chronograph, manual winds, like a Speedmaster. You throw that against the wall. Well, needing the watch, mate. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that, because that movement is just going to implode. There's too much going on in it to withstand mm. the shocks. The, 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 um, the thing about watches is they're only designed to withstand what we would withstand. Yeah. So if you get, so if you go like that and throw a watch against the wall, it doesn't seem like the quite a violent act, except for mm. the watch is doing 50 miles an hour by the time you do that. That yeah. whip action, right? Well, if you were fired at a brick wall, <laughs> you're not going to survive it. So no, exactly. why do you expect watches to? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the whole point. And if you yeah. want that, get a quartz watch. Yeah, yeah, get a G-Shock. Yeah, get a G-Shock. Yeah, I mean, I've always loved all that. Because I've known these pilots through the forums and stuff, and I'm just like, so you've got all these watches, right? Do you wear them when you're flying? They're like, no, no, I've got a G-Shock. So every time I get into a cockpit, I'm completely surrounded by rough steel, <laughs> aluminium. I'm yeah. always whacking it on things because basically, you know, I drop my clipboard and I've got to catch it because it's going to hit the fucking starter button or whatever it is. And then I whack the watch at 30 miles an hour across the, the, the steel case controls. Then uh, I don't really want it to be my Breitling, you know, aerospace. I want it yeah. to be, you know, my 60 pounds G-Shock. So yeah. that's another quite funny thing. Yeah. yeah, I get it. I get it. I, uh, people ask me, they're like, oh, do you wear all your, uh, yeah, your more expensive or your special project watches to work? It's like, only when it's a day in the office, like when I'm yeah, not, yeah. Doing when anything. not doing anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, fundamentally, I bought those for me to enjoy. Like, you know, yeah. what I mean, you know, yeah, I yeah. like I like having special project watches, but I want to enjoy them. I don't want to like bounce them around like you know the yeah. back of a Land Rover just yeah, because yeah. I can. Yeah, um, let's test it like a tough book and throw it off the back of a Land Rover driving along an airfield at sixty yeah. miles. Yeah. No thanks. Yeah, no, I've got scratches on my watches, and I go because I wear them. Yeah, you know, and I think I still don't like it, mm. even though I'm I'm I don't mind it. But yeah. the watches I'm scratching, they're those Bremont watches. Yeah, you know, if I send it into to Bremont, I'll speak, give Giles a call, and say, "Look, can I send my watches in?" They'll just replace the top cover. Yeah, and you can't scratch the crystals. No, no. I've tried it. Well, mm. I haven't tried it. I've had one since two thousand and six. That I have worn, like really worn. It's got you know mm. proper case case damage. There's no scratches on the crystal. Mm. Can't scratch it. Yeah, they're really good. They're really good. I think I bounced one of my Bramonts off a uh, uh, a rock face before. So I was out in California with work, 
um, I definitely screwed, uh, I definitely scratched up the bracelet because I decided to pose as if I climbed a rock um, with Yosemite, uh, part of Yosemite in the background just for a photo. And obviously we took the photo in such a way that you could blag it just because, you know, that's what photographers do now. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely scratched the hell out of the, um, uh, the bracelet in doing so because I just wasn't thinking at the time. But yeah, I'm pretty sure um, the edge of the, yeah, the top ring, as it were, also got scratched. But yeah, I've, I've yeah, never well, done anything to the crystal. Yeah, yeah and that was well, like grit stone across the front of it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just looking up as we're talking. I'm looking at Brittany because I did a thing on my forum. I went to, I took my kids to Brittany mm. and, I, and I was taking, you know, all, sorry, I'm just, I'm talking to you, but I'm just looking at some files while I'm talking. And I yes, took sir. kids to, um, to Brittany and I had, you know, I took my watches with me and I took like a Rolex and I took a, mm. and, and I took, you know, because I was doing this whole Bremont forum thing. Because uh, mm. I did their first forums, and I uh, I took my Bremonts, and you know, and I was like, oh well, I'll take this will look cool. I'll take pictures here, and I'll take pictures there, and um, I was taking, and I, this has happened to me several times with Bremont watches. I don't know whether it's Bremont, maybe because they're a bit heavier, but um, as I'm taking the picture, it just falls off this rock, and it was. Um, it was like, you know, those big pieces of granite that they have for sea defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I ran over and caught it as it bounced down this rock. Um, because if it fell between them, it was like, forget it. Yeah. You're never going to get it back. You know, you know you're going to get um, somebody to come along and um, with a huge crane and move that rock out of the way so you can get your watch. Here it is. Hang on. I called it a boulder. I thought it was called a rock. See if I can drop it into uh, open. Let's see if it'll do that. So I'm just, yeah, you can share, you know, can you share? Uh, it's just loading now. Okay. Yeah. That's, just, yeah. That's a big old, yeah. 12, yeah I, so you dropped it 12 foot as well. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, is, I couldn't see it because it's quite small. Is that got that? I've measured it and everything. And I thought like, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I like, I like the arrow. Right. And yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, it tracks it down. It goes about 12 foot. And at the very bottom of this image, it just says yeah. final resting place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah yeah so i uh, so that's from i don't know i mean that's well actually what's the date on that i think that was like 2000 2006 maybe 2007 so yeah. i was off doing stuff you know i take watches with me it was great having kids you know when people do all this i'm out taking them my cool shot of my watch when you yeah. got little kids you're going to quite boring things all the time yeah. you know you know water park you know not what you know like um wildfowl parks Mm -hmm. yeah, there are all these things that have sprung up over the last 20 years in Britain, which are basically places to take your kids. Yeah. But to begin with, they're usually not very good. So mm. you go to a waterfowl park and there's just little ponds with little islands in them with like one bird on it. Yeah. But the kids are having a great time and you're wearing them out and that's really cool. So I would just take my watches around with me and take pictures. But that would mean I was taking photos out in the public without control over what was going on. Yeah. I mean, I... I took a picture on a train and then the train pulled off and the watch fell off and I caught that as well. I remember taking a picture of um, on the top of a fence, you know, when, when it snows and the snow just is like, I thought, wow, that looked great. If I put this watch on there and it's in the snow and I go like that with my camera and I just see it fall <laughs> through the, my camera lens. Yeah. Uh, it was on its strap, you know, it was on yeah. a, a deployment. Yeah. It went, 
bang and it landed crystal down in fact the one the, the bramon that i'm talking i was telling you about and what happened was i did i landed it landed on flagstone face down Crack. having done about i don't know 20 20 spins mm. um didn't do anything to the crystal but it popped all of the hands off it the Bonk. shock it just mm. landed completely yeah vertically and it just went dunk, and i picked it up and honestly it was well, I couldn't hear it. I, I was imagining that. <laughs> You're like shaking yeah, out. I'm not gonna be like, yeah, because I was immediately like, fuck. Um, yeah, and all the hands were like, but I was like, there's nothing wrong with the crystal, but the hands were off. And I'd send it, I'd send it back to Bremont, and they were like, oh, yeah, you really wrecked this. You know, how did you do that? I was like, well, fell off the fence. Now, I used to take a lot of their pictures, and um, I had a number of. Well, I wasn't in the studio. If you're in a studio, it's yeah. easy to put gloves on and all that kind of yeah. crap. But I was just like, well, these watches need to get seen. So let's yeah. just, you know, let's take lots of pictures wherever I went. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would do it with vintage as well. Mm. I mean, was that how, obviously, the S2 came about? Yeah, the, S2, the S2 came about. Um, through the running of their, you know. Um, yeah, through the forum. Some of the guys, um, there's a guy called Jonathan Suckling, actually, who's, He's he's a bit of a Bramont boy, and um, he's 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 one. Of, he's a very interesting character. He's he's licensed to drive at over two hundred miles an hour. At, um, uh, you know, in Utah, where they where they race, he's he's a very interesting. Flies planes, drives nutso cars. Mm. He was at the um, Goodwood Revival at the weekend. I was supposed. Well, I was asked to be there the weekend, but it was a very short notice because they wanted yeah. to give a talk about vintage. But I think we're going to do something a bit bigger next year. That would be great. Um, but I'm yeah. still I'm still yet to go there. I really want to go to the Goodwood Revival. Yeah, well, I've been to the Goodwood Festival of Speed hmm. um, because I'm I'm still a Bremont dealer and and I just get invited there, and that's pretty amazing because hmm. there's loads of these. Or there's loads of loads of vintage cars there as well. It's a really yeah. good day out. It really is. Um, it's better if you've got the preferred parking. I yeah. have to tell you, because it's a lot less walking. But yeah. yeah, that's a brilliant day out. I think Lord Marshall and all the guys are good with. Considering yeah. I wasn't a petrol head, mm. and, and I went there, and I just thought, God, I think this is the best organised thing I've ever been to. Mm. You know, wasn't ridiculously expensive. Food was good and wasn't, you know, because normally when you go to those kind of shows and fairs and stuff, the food will be rubbish and it'll be expensive where it's yeah. not like that there. It's not that pricey and it's good. And mm. it's loads of, loads of, it's really kind of, it's not really family oriented because there's obviously they're driving rally cars up the hill at a gazillion miles an hour. And that can be a bit vague because you can just walk onto the road if you like, mm. but it's good for children as well. There's mm. loads of space. So Goodwood's definitely something worth going. Yeah, I have a chat with them on try and get along because they go to the both of them. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll have the, to get yeah the revival um, is interesting. Um, I, I just haven't been able to get to it and I couldn't do it this year, but I'm, I'm going to do it next year, I think, and maybe try and get some vintage watch um, makers. Oh, nice. And oh, watch cool. dealers because there's some interesting dudes I know. Get them all together and we'll all have a do a bit of a, a talk and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that would be great. Yeah. That'd be cool. Um, but yeah, so the, the S2. S2, yeah. Yeah, so Jonathan, who races at um, uh, uh, Goodwood, 
uh, he came to me and said, uh, cockpit clocks, really interested. I spoke to Bremont uh, because they had a range of watches that I really liked. Um, and I said to them, I want to make this because I'd already made the MB 1.5, which was mm -hmm. um, halfway between the uh, the MB 2 watch they make, which is like from the testing from Martin Baker ejection seats, and the MB 1, which is the one that Martin Baker gave away. So yeah. we'd already done that. I mean, that they had not come out yet mm -hmm. when I did an event down here in Bristol, and a, a, a load of the ATG forum came. Guys came from London. We, we, we did it at the hotel, the van, they gave us a great deal. I mean, it was a really successful evening. Uh, and I, you know, we got Giles in the corner and we're like, we want you to make a watch for us. We're doing all this, you know, we're supporting your brand and all this kind of stuff. And that's where the MB 1.5 came from. And then um, then the S2, which was is basically a super stealthy kind of pilot watch. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Jonathan came to me and said, you know, what about doing the cockpit clock? And I was like, yeah, it's kind of interesting. You know, and I was, um, and so we made the S2, which mm -hmm. is uh, basically a, was it, it wasn't their first black watch, but it's close to it. And because it's got a green and yellow dial, because it's based on, uh, they had green on cockpits, on yeah. cockpit dials, because they used to use red lights at night. Yeah. And it would, they could see them better if they were green. And, um, and, uh, I don't think we, I don't think a lot it didn't take off as a limited edition because there were a number of things going on. They were making military watches. Yeah. They just made military watches and they just done this A10 warthog with a with the Gatling gun. Yeah, on the rotor. And on the rotor, yeah. Yeah, and I think what a lot of people were sitting there thinking, well, if they're doing this limited edition, they'll 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 do like a civilian version as well. But I don't think they do that with the military stuff. No, and so, like, so from to, yeah, so like from my experience, then. yeah. Well, well, because I, I think because quite rightly, I think the military guys go, "We'll give you the design, or we when it's how we want." But it yeah, but that that's the same as all the military. They all own their their, their you know um, the 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 Type Twenty Breguet watches, or, mm -hmm. or the, you know Type Twenty watches. There's loads of them. Uh, Dodane made the Type Twenty watches. It's the French military own that design. Mm -hmm. They have to get permission from, I mean, even though Dame watches they sell now, they have to pay the French military a bit of it. Yeah, um, uh, yeah so that's where the S2 came from. And uh, I had this strap made, which was essentially based on the original Fleger strap that was made for the Luftwaffe Burr Navigator watches, yeah. you know, the UHR watches. Um, but I couldn't make it that thin. Uh, and it ended up being a, a bit thick, but they're brilliant straps. I mean, you'd have to really beat it up. I think it needs to be beaten up a bit. Um, so yeah. I made a strap, and it came with, um, uh, I think it came with this one-piece strap that has a concealed buckle, because essentially it means that you can you can undo the strap with one hand yeah, and, like, put it over your flight suit and then yeah. tighten it up with one hand. It was for pilots because you're flying your plane and you can do that at the same time, I think. Um, so that's what the strap was. And you also, I did, um, they came with a package with like um, a flight plotter, mm -hmm. which is a navigational aid that uh, yeah. 
uh, pilots use, they still use notes, still need to know how to use one. Um, and yeah, so that's the S2, but I think there are only six or eight of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because, you know, Bremen have grown so quickly and not quickly, like they've just been ready for it. You know, they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're, and they've done so many, so many watches in a, in a short period of time that you had a window with these kind of things, you know? When we did the MB1.5, they only had like four different styles of watch or five. And then suddenly, you know, five years later, we're doing the S2. Um, So the S2 is the rarest Bremont Limited. And in fact, when I went to the Bremont HQ a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was wandering around with Giles and I had my son with me. He's like 19, he's a film student, he's filming it. And um, uh, upstairs they have, glass cases with all of their watches that they've made that's yeah i don't know whether you've been but that's a yeah i i went back in may actually um so we were invited i say we it was me and another military project leader were invited along um to obviously go down kind of represent um obviously our projects and obviously the stuff that we've done in terms of i guess photos and stuff yeah and all that kind of stuff and have a walk around uh we had a good time yeah it's a great yeah yeah i remember that I remember the cases as well, because it's in that viewing platform, isn't it? So yeah, yeah, in, on the top. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really cool. I mean, it's a great design, the building. Um, we talked about it. When I first met them, they said, we're going to make... I said, what do you want to do? And they said, we want to make... We want to bring cereal watch manufacturing back to Britain. Mm-hmm. We wanna, and I said, so you want to be Smiths? And they went, mm-hmm. what kind of? Yeah. And, I, and, and they have a real... I was quite surprised, actually. They have, they've got a real passion for let's do British watchmaking. Everyone thinks they're all about, they're kind of, I don't know, Brits like to shoot down Brits, but you know, they've done some great stuff. I mean, their watches are really cool. People go, oh, it's more expensive. Well, you know, if you want to develop to the stage, I mean, they've got like, I don't know, 40 watchmakers, that's 40 people they're employing, yeah. right? And they put money into um, the watchmaking schools for, you know, for academy stuff and all that kind of stuff. No one else is doing that. They're the only ones that are in that, you know? Um, and, you know, if you want to be there and you want to put investment into your business, the amount of money you'd need to borrow when you don't know whether you're going to make that cash yet means that by the time you get there, you don't own the business. So what they did was they just made a lot of really cool watches and worked extraordinarily hard. I don't think I've ever known guys I work with work as hard as those two did, especially the first 10 years. It was quite unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, having come from a, quite a, an intense pressure TV environment, uh, which I'd already seen all this shit happen, like people just, you know, and uh, I was quite impressed with them. Um, but when you go and have a look around uh, the limited one on the top, you just get to see everything they've done. Yeah. And you just think, Christ, they've really done stuff. What's quite cool is the S2 is in the, one of their cases. Yeah, that I noticed that. Yeah, mm. I saw it. I recognised it and I was like, oh, I remember yeah. yeah, but I think there's eight of them only. And that was, uh, that was, that was it with that, really. Hmm. No, it's cool. It's cool. Shame they didn't um, yeah, do more of them. Was there a reason why they um, didn't? Um, I just think, you know, small capacity. And I think they were like, well, we've got these orders to fill and you're not sure. You know, yeah. it's, it's, 
you know, I got, when uh, we did the MB 1.5, I got like 20 watches signed up in like three months. Mm-hmm. Whereas the S2 started taking a long time because it wasn't a chronograph. It wasn't, um, what you call it, a compressed case. Uh, you know, certainly people could, could buy a Martin Baker watch. Yeah. Uh, and and I just think there was a window that was, that was kind of missed with me. I mean, yeah. you know, it's still a really cool watch. So... But yeah, I think that's that's the most limited. Yeah, and they were all well, everyone's trying to get me to make more MB one point fives, but um, I think I mean you know that you know that watch company was very small then. Yeah, you you don't get you know big you know proper big companies to go yeah yeah we'll you know we'll suddenly just do any watch for you. It doesn't really work like that. No. You, know, you can go to Jaeger Culture and have one custom made. Hmm. But they only make one. Yeah, yeah. and you have to, yeah. yeah, and you have to, you have to have the money to to do it. Yeah, yeah, and they want the money up front. They go, yeah, sure. Normally they're ten grand, but it's thirty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you win the lottery, you don't go to a shop. You go to the people who make it and say, yeah, of course, I'd like one of those, please. Yeah. 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 But um, that's cool. I I I've got a lot of time for Bronx, clearly. You know, I've uh. I've got a few of them. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I've yeah, never, I've never well, had diff- No, well, they're difficult to collect. Yes. Because you only need one of them. Mm. That's the problem. Many moons ago, I bought an IWC Aquatimer 2000 chronograph with the internal bezel that works on the little wheel on the return yeah, chronograph. Yeah, yeah. And I sat there with two collector friends of mine in my kitchen, looking at it on my coffee t- on my dining table, like it was some kind of feral animal that we'd captured. We were looking at it. <laughs> it's to study it. <laughs> we were just like, okay, it's over. Because everything that watch was giving us everything that we got from collecting. Mm-hmm. It had the squared off pencil hands that are very military. It was yeah. a mad diver which we liked it has an internal bezel which is really cool it's got a yeah. quite an interesting the robust steel case it's got this geeky little wheel <laughs> serrated wheel that is on the uh, return button on the on the chronograph that makes the internal bezel go round. and and literally both of them sat there and we went through looking at this watch and they said to me you're gonna have to sell that Otherwise, you'll never own another watch because you don't need another one. And that's a bit of a problem with the Bremont ones, is that they they you know they are kind of pretty robust and and you know are, are, are you know are we supposed to have twenty watches? You know, yeah, I mean, I've n- I've seen your watch box, right? Yes, yes. And I've never owned as many watches as you own. And I worked as a watch dealer for like 18 years. Yeah, it's an not affliction, my, Not my watches. You know, I've had, you know, 60, 70 watches. Yeah. Well, what happens is it's a path. And the more you learn, you know, you're quite happy with the watches that you've got. You, five years ago, you'd be you're quite happy with them, right? Yeah. And then what happens yeah. is you learn a bit more and you see a bit more and you mature perhaps a little more. And then you kind of go, hmm, don't like that as much as I used to. 
and yeah, then you yeah. start weighing it up against, you know, uh, or you know, uh, an Aquastar Deep Star, or um, what was that interesting brand that I like? Septus, is it? They're a dive uh, that looks a bit like a plowed broth, and it's got an asymmetric case. Oh, can't remember. Spanish name. I was trying to look it up earlier. It's a really that that I think that's you know you were talking about, you know, interesting. Is it scrub? Um, no, it's no, it's no, no. Of, It looks like it's in the colours of a of a plow prof, mm. but it's uh, it's it's uh, it's a dive watch. Is it called Septus or maybe? I'm sure that it's a, the Spanish. Sorry, I'm. I'm talking to you and I've pulled up Certus watches, is that it? No. Oh, anyway, it's um maybe one of your guys will be able to find out what it is. Um yeah. but it's like uh it's really asymmetric, almost like do you know it? Do you know that no, one? No. It's got a big bezel. It looks it it it's 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 designed after the plow prop, yeah. right? Or and then you know. There are other dive watches from the 60s that are like the Pro Prof, you know, the um, the Synchron watches and, oh, yeah. uh, you know, and, and all those kind of big dive watches that were, nobody wore them to the office. Because mm -hmm. they're like 25 mil or 30 mil tall and 48 mil wide and all that kind of stuff. They're actually real dive watches. Um, yeah, that's that's a modern watch that's been done in a really cool vintage style. Costs a lot of money to get cases made. You know, often with watches, there are case manufacturers who just make cases. And every yeah. year they make 20 cases. And then they go to Basel and they go, these are our next year's cases. Or the or year after's cases. And then what happens is watch companies that don't make any of their own stuff, they're just basically a brand. That's where they get their cases from. Mm. That's where the watch that Eddie Platt's made, that's where that case came from. The, what oh, was yeah. the dive watch he made. Um, is it a dreadnought? Yeah, the original dreadnought. You know, that, that case was used by a lot of watch companies. It was made by a case manufacturer. Mm -hmm. and, and so what happens is there's a lot of companies that, they're watch companies, but they don't make, you know, it's hardly anyone make their own movements. Mm. You know, I mean, you know, a lot of watch companies get hammered for, or, you know, you, you're not making your own in-house movement. Well, hardly any of them. Protect Philippe, we're using 7750 Valgeo or ETA uh, base drivetrains for mm. their chronographs up until very recently. And they still won't be doing it themselves now. Yeah. Because the basic stuff, to make it seriously perfect, seriously perfect, someone like Patek Philippe doesn't, you know, I mean, how many watches does Patek Philippe sell every year? It's not that many. No, no. Business is either Seiko, where you sell hundreds of millions and yeah. you only make 10 euros a piece, or yeah. you're a Patek Philippe and you sell five or 6,000, but they yes. start at 18 grand. Yeah. All businesses like that. Yeah. And, and when you're when you're doing that, if you're only selling two hundred of the roulette chronographs by Patek Philippe, you're not making every one of those movements 
because you're only making 18 and the equipment to make those movements needs to make them the way the way these things are financed it needs to be making them 24 hours a day yeah. that's how they're sold to you okay. so when you say oh i need a new uh, milling machine to make this blah 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 and they go you know the cnc or whatever they go well if you the guys who make this stuff go well if you're using this 24 hours a day or 18 hours a day say um you can make this many movements that or this many cases that can be sold between 1000 and that's what they bill you mm -hmm. so you can't buy one and only use it half the time unless yeah. you want to make a 50 percent loss yeah and you know business accountancy won't let you do that yeah of course. So therefore protectfully isn't making every one of their movements they're buying in base stuff because they can't do it mm -hmm. and you know and rolex are not making all of their stuff either they're finishing it and they're yeah. putting it together but the basic stuff they generally because they wear out so much that you know if you're making you're making a base plate or a, a, the, the two plates part as part of the drivetrain of a basic watch movement you're making a gazillion of those plates a day, say a thousand, right? You're going to wear that machine out and then you've got to change. And then the technology might change by the time you do that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that becomes a separate business. Just making those plates yeah. is a big business in itself. So therefore mm -hmm. you go, well, economically, it's not worthwhile us doing that. We should stick to what we're go good at like Vashra and Constantine or Patek or, you know, you know, the high end guys is, is we'll buy in the, the drivetrains or the, or, or, or the main parts of the drivetrain. And then we'll do the sophisticated stuff because we're the sophisticated guys. Yeah. Right? And that's, and there's nothing wrong with them doing that. I mean, you know, you, you've got a Lang and son, right? Why are a Lang and son data graphs, chronographs, 45 grand because they make every single part of it themselves. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> because when the Cold War came down and A. Lang and Son were stuck in um, whatever it is, um, Glasuta in East Germany, and they were like, okay, they were cut off from any technological advancement because no one in the West would deal with East Germany. Yeah. East Germany was not, was not recognized as a country yeah. and it really pissed them off. So they couldn't get anything they couldn't get any technology. I mean, this isn't that long ago. No, it wasn't. That there was a massive part of Europe that we didn't even know what was going on in there. Yeah. And they were doing things like burning coal that we'd stopped burning 50 years ago because we know it gives everyone lung cancer. They were still yeah. doing it up until like 96. <laughs> this isn't that long ago. This is yeah. in, it's in your lifetime. It's in my adult yeah. lifetime. Yeah. Um, and so you had all these watchmakers at Eilang and Song, um, which was like, you know, a 150-year-old legacy of, of German watchmaking in Glasuta, you know, that area. Um, and they're, they're, being, they're having to make ruler dive watches, which basically look like the bottom of a pint glass compared to what these guys were used to making. Mm. They couldn't get the materials. And, and they didn't have auto movements just didn't happen for them mm. so what they did was they carried on maximizing the potential of the design of manual wine movements and then the next minute the wall comes down 
shitloads of German investment money goes rushing up to our A Lang and Son and says, What have you been doing? And they go, We've got a chronograph that is manual wind that is accurate to, you know, ridiculous level. Um, and it's not automatic, but it'll run for eight days. And we've got mm. another one that runs for 15 days. Um, but it's done like a 75 joule movement. <clears throat> right. Well, that never happened in the West because what happened was by the time anyone even contemplated the amount of development work you'd have to do to create a movement like that, someone went, or you could just use this rotor weight and this small mechanism here, which will transfer the power equally and it'll oscillate as well. And that's what happened in the West. Everyone went on, everyone wanted an automatic watch. Mm -hmm. Now, it's all about technological advancement. But A. Lang and Son, Anglesuit original, have been stuck in a um, no, time, time bubble. Yeah. Yeah. And then when they went, well, we made these watches. And the, the, the investors didn't sit back and say, cool, well, it'll cost us three grand to make it, but we'll sell them for 45. They didn't. They went, how long is it going to take to make one of these? And what? And also, how do we maintain this level of accuracy? Because you've made these watches and mm -hmm. you know, you, you've worn them around Glasuta, but you haven't really tested them for, for, to go up against Rolex, whoever, Vacheron Constantine, and the Western movements. And the reason why a, a, a Langenson data graph is 45 grand is because they cost 45 grand. Mm -hmm. I remember 20% of its tax and cost, mm -hmm. and you know, and shipping costs and all that kind of crap that happens within business you know, 40% of its dealer margin. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're not actually making as much money as people think they're. I mean, they, they make a lot of cash. Yeah, of course. But considering how much their watches cost, everyone thinks the manufacturer makes the money. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not as easy as that. It's a bit more no, complicated. No. And that's the same whether it's a 45 grand datagraph or whether it's a 60 quid you know, whatever, Sunto or, you know, not even Sunto now because they're quite pricey. But, yeah, they have, they, 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 uh, they jumped up a little bit. Yeah. So, so you know, that's just how it is. I mean, there's a lot of, like, chin rubbing. I mean, Bremer got a load of shit for talking about their, they made a movement, and this is, like, seven years ago. And, uh, and they're like, well, they kind of did, but the thing is they used the drivetrain. But they yeah. used the drivetrain, that a movement that, are like, uh, loads of other. Being used by, I think, Patek used it. But mm. they can't say that. They can't come out and go, well, actually, you know, because it's not good for business, you know, to do that. Yeah, of course. And so they'd have to take it on the chin, you know. But I, you know, I want to support British businesses. Yeah, so do I. I grew up in the 70s where businesses were just crumbling. Yeah. crumbling. And I don't, it's, I, I don't feel good about it. It's not good for us. You know, we, we're forever as Brits you know, lauding the Battle of Britain and oh, and the amazement of the Spitfire and, you know, this kind of stuff and all this crap that we've done. And it's like, yeah, that was like 70 years ago. What are we doing now? Yeah. Where are we going? What, you know, what, you know, what, what I've got, I've got, you know, two young, I've got 19-year-old and a 16-year-old boys. You know, I, I want them to feel, you know, we're, we're going somewhere, something's happening, you know, we've got, we've got something about us. So mm -hmm. I want, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, so I yeah, I always trying to support you know independent um, or British brands where I can do um, in whatever hobby I'm in. 
be it yeah. my watch, be it my watch hobby or my other hobbies such as uh, I mean, mountaineering. There's a funny thing going on at the moment uh, with with the 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 the, the watch businesses that they're all kind of like, they've created some kind of, uh, you know, the, the, you know, like British watch. What's it called? It's like Federation of British. Watch oh Men. yeah. I've seen that. I can't, yeah. It's just a lie. You know, some of those brands don't really make watches. You know, they, they don't, they've got a great website. Yeah. It's like how many watches have you made? 50? Mm. Well, well, I've made, I, I've made, more than 50 watches and I'm not a watchmaker mm. and and there's a bit of brand over content there's a bit too much salesy you know there's a bit like wagging the finger uh the likes of Bremont and even the likes of Speak Marin and you're like mm. you know Roger Smith Roger Smith lives in um the Isle of Man yeah his business is registered in the Isle of Man so he doesn't pay British tax he's not really an English company mm. You know, he's makes, like, really shouting at the odds yeah. he, because someone needs to say, look, your watches are great, but they are like a 200 year old design. Yeah. And, uh, they cost like a hundred grand, don't they? Yeah. So like, I think he only, he only makes like how, what, six, yeah. six a year. <laughs> yeah. And how many, and how many of your watchmakers of which he's got like five watchmakers are actually English? Mm. You know, what are you contributing? You're talking about it a lot, but you're not contributing anything. And you're not paying British tax. Mm. That's the key. Yeah. That's it. I couldn't believe that open letter bullshit that he did. I'm like, look, you're just a watchmaker. It's just, they're just watches. Mm. Right? They're not saving anyone's life. They're not even doing something that hasn't been done before. Mm. To be honest with you. It's all been done. Yeah. All of those retro watches. They were all done as pocket watches originally. Watches yeah, he's... done as mm -hmm. as a develop as a mechanical development movement, even before they became wristwatches. It had been done. Mm. Everything, everything you could do had been done. Yeah, you know, that mm. mad Patek complication that that did. Oh yeah, thirty six something complications in a pocket yeah. watch. Yeah, which is amazing. You yeah. know, and that's human feat of engineering, and I think that's great. And when I look at Roger Smith's watches, I go. That's really interesting. But I'm not interested in those kind of watches. Mm. Never mind. Those kind of watches are bought by people who want to buy it because no one else has got one. Yeah. So well, they I mean, say, no, like I said, he, he, he only makes six a year or something anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, and, I, and, I'm, and, I, and it's, a, it's an okay watch. They're, they're cool. But, you know, I don't want to get into it. Do you know what I mean? But when I see that and I see kind of, I don't want to see British com British companies do this. They argue with each other over the British market. Mm. But you know what they could do is expand the British market. They all want to control the British market. We want to, you know, we we want to be the top dog in the British market. But if you make it bigger, right, by adjusting your your you know the, the how much your watches the uh, the price of your watches, then you'll sell more. Mm -hmm. Right. So make it bigger. Stop trying to, you know, they sit down and, 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 and look at, you know, high, you know, who makes more than, you know, what, you know, what part of the market's got the liquidity to buy a watch over five grand. Those people, right. That's where we're going. Mm. Yeah. Well, what about supporting a, a cheaper version of, um, of, uh, you know, uh, 
HP credit. So mm. the people who, who would love to buy and who would love to support you can do. Uh, can do. Mm. Try well, what's wrong with thinking like that? Yeah, I don't I don't get it at all with British manufacturing that there is this thing where you know it's, a, it's pandering to a certain a certain group. Mm. You know, and it, it's because I, I don't know what it is. They want to be like, look how cool I am. Yeah. And you know, I mean, who else is a, a find funny? Who's the, it's a guy's name, they make watches. Christopher Ward. Chris Ward. Yeah, well, Christopher Ward, their watches aren't made in England, all right? No, 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 no. He also, he's not actually affiliated to that company anymore. And if I was Chris Ward, I'd find that really weird. Yeah, well, they're the guys who, they sold a business online. called the Early Learning Center. Yeah, and, and it was all like online, wasn't it? Mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. which, which I would go into the Early Learning Center to buy toys for my children. And just think, why, why oh, do I want to spend this kind of money on a, a, a table that has Thomas the Tank Engine on it? That yeah. is four hundred quid. When you know, you can buy you can buy a piece of MDF and, and do it in like twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and they did their thing, and 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 it's fine. And I'm glad they're doing what they're doing as well. But you know, I'm watching videos of people who are purporting to work for companies with some you know 22 year old graphic designer or you know largely on graphic designer because he wouldn't be doing that if he was a real graphic designer talking about his inspiration for designing the watch or the dial and i'm like i can show you the watch that that's designed from it's mm-hmm. called the glycine sst mm. they call it the glycine pumpkin and your watch is almost exactly the same as it but you've changed some of the colors and, those and, hands, and there's a different name on it. Yeah, and you've those hands come from a Doxa 300. Watch brands, right? It's about the cases. Mm. So a Rolex, you kind of know what a Rolex is. The oyster case, you know what that is, right? Um, Speedmaster, bomb logs, you know yeah. that's a Speedmaster. Uh, who else? Zenith not so Breitling Chronomat case, you know that's a that's a Breitling. If you know anything about yeah. watch, you know that's a Breitling. Yeah. Um, one of the things I like about Bremont is their cases are not. Yeah, they're they, their own they, thing. They built it all on their case. Yeah. Right? Because it doesn't matter what goes in it. The dials are not going to cost a fortune. It's the tooling and the design of the versatility of the cases. Rolex is unreal. You can look at uh, Rolex's catalog. They're, all the watches are the same. Dials mm. aren't, bezels aren't. Mm. That's and really the smart. Yeah. Does the, the Rolex have only designed like four watches or six mm. watches? Mm. Really? They're yeah. all versions of the same thing. Bremont not done exactly the same, also very clever. Mm. You know, but the main thing is they don't look like other watches. Yeah. And there have been a number of watch brands that have reached back into the vintage catalogue and gone, I'll make it look like that. And then they've gone, well, look at our brand. And you're like, yeah, well, if you know anything about, if you know anything about watches, you can see that they've just copied. Like, and I mean, like, directly copied. And that has always happened because while there's, there's so many people who want to buy watches who wear watches because it's, you know, it's an everyday object. 
And where you might have um, 100,000 people who were happy to spend two and a half grand on or three or three and a half grand on a watch, there's a lot more who want the look of that watch but only want to spend a grand. Yeah. And if you tap into that, then you're going to sell a lot of watches, right? And that's also fine as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. The problem with only selling online, you're not doing anything for the economy, you're not hiring anyone. Yeah, watches made outside outside of the country. All you're doing is hiring people to box things up for you. Yeah, and that's the, and and I don't mind that either. But I do mind these guys shilling onto posts around. Oh well, I wouldn't buy that. I'd buy this, and you know, you want to buy one of our watches because that that's it's so obvious that's what they're doing, and it's weak. Just get together and do it all together. Share, mm. The Swiss are all connected. Mm. They're all connected. They all work together. But what do the Brits do? No, they all want to fight each other. Mm. And I do not understand why you do that. They all want to be in charge. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, of what? Most of, the, most of the, you know, anyone under 30 wouldn't even think of buying a watch. Well, I've got yeah. a phone which has yeah. got GPS on it, and it's got everything you need. And a video. Why yeah. do I need a phone? Why do I need a watch? Yeah. So that's who they should be addressing. They shouldn't be arguing amongst themselves. It's pathetic mm. and completely unnecessary. Yeah. Anyway, that's my rant. I've watched this. You see, when I first started doing this, there were no watch companies. There were mm. no British watch companies. They've literally only come along in the last fifteen years created by the first generation of online, you know, the, the need for this or the want mm. for this, being created by the first generation of online guys mm. who were guys like me. And actually guys before me, because there were guys doing it from like 95. Yeah. I was more like 98, you know, mm. uh, and, and even slightly earlier, you know, 93 was when you could start doing that kind of thing. Mm. So, so I wish they'd just stop fucking arguing with each other and give us nice stuff. Yeah. Be a bit more British about it, be a bit more, and I mean, I don't mean British playing polo. I mean British as in English, British, mm. you know, get Scottish, Welsh, you know, we're all we're all one thing, really. There's this thing that we keep projecting that we're kind of like white Anglo-Saxon and that's Britain. It's just not true. Mm. It's not true. Yeah, that, that's uh, changed a long time ago, that. Oh, a really long time ago. Yeah, yeah no, no, totally. You know, um, and I and I just wish I just wish that they they hurry up and fucking get with it. Yeah. Anyway, that's my that's my that's more like a lockdown rant, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's different. <laughs> good. Um, before I let you go, um, okay. obviously we've mentioned your book. Uh, we've mentioned the forums, but where else can uh, my listeners, obviously, if they don't already follow you or, or already engage with you or heard, heard of you, uh, where can they find you? Okay, I'm on, well, it's ATG Vintage. It's my name, Alistair Thomas Gibbons. It's no more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so it's ATG Vintage on, if, on uh, Instagram. I'm kind of on everything, but I generally use Instagram because I basically yeah. just support my book. I've got the forum which I'm kind of repairing because I ended up having years, about three years ago, I had the server transfer over and they broke all the, not all the links, but they broke all the links to a lot of pictures. 
So I'm reloading um, the gallery, but that's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's a lot of work. I mean, yeah, my, my gallery had had 12 million views. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's how many pictures were in it that had been connected. And they didn't do with, you know, the 404 links. And so I'm, I'm going through that. But the forums there, there's loads of information. Yeah. It's a, it may seem a bit all over the place, but the thing is, it was huge. And I wanted to keep it. And the first thing any web guy says to you is, well, if you get rid of half of this, say, we'll only have it from 2014, you, you won't have to worry about any of this. And it's like, yeah, but it's quite interesting to see all the early stuff and yeah, of course, yeah. conversation. I mean, what, there's a post on, on, on the, that I, uh, I did about uh, pilot watches. And uh, it's got like, it had like, it's like 180,000 views. And that's mm-hmm. when people go, oh, that's, is that a great, you know, there's millions of, yeah, but that's just looking at it. That's looking at a single picture on Instagram. Yeah, this yeah. is, they've read it, you know what I mean? So, and it's about four pages and it's every kind of pilot watch, which again, I'm having to repopulate because of, you know. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So yeah, so ATG vintage uh, watches. So it's Alistair Gibbons or ATG vintage watches. If you put me into Google. Yeah. There's suddenly two other Alistair Gibbonses in the world. There only used to be me. <laughs> well, I was talking to a friend today. He said, I Googled your name. There's another one. Because we was we were laughing at the fact that, yeah, we Googled each other over the years. And, and, and he's got a really common name, like Steve Jones or something. Yeah. And then he was like, no, there's a Canadian guy who's got your name. Yeah, there's another one. So, yeah. Uh, and you'll find me. There's reviews on my book. I'm yeah. on Instagram. I've got a thing about if any of your listeners have got my book, uh, I do a thing where you take a, if you take a picture uh, um, of your watch on my book, post on Instagram, I'll repost it. And, yeah. you know, at the end of the year, we make a comp- we'd make a competition out of it and stuff like that. But what's really nice to see is I've created a separate Instagram, which is called Chasing Time. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, hashtag Chasing Time and Chasing Time book. Um, what's nice to see is I've reposted all of the, those pictures there because it was all getting all over the place and I'm doing a new book as well mm-hmm. um, uh, and a book about food about feeding um, divorced dads feeding kids mm-hmm. man yeah yeah absolutely modern man you yeah yeah well, it's, well not that modern kind of I love <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, that was just like a little thing I was doing with my kids because you know my kids wouldn't eat and all this kind of stuff and you know, unusual kind of stuff um, but yeah um, what's really cool about the about when people put the the pictures on the uh, uh, on on the uh, the watches on the book is I don't think I've had the same watch twice. That's good. Yeah, and there's like a few hundred pictures yeah. of my book with I might have had a couple of Speedmasters, but what they've done is they they they, they put a couple of their watches on it. Yeah, and so that's and it's I love that I love the fact and this is cool about watch collecting. It can be so varied. I think yeah, of course. Really, I really like that. It's great. Yeah. No, I like that about it as well. Yeah. So that's uh, it. Cool. Happy days. Um, we're rolling into obviously the final bit of my of my show, which is uh, the closing notes section. So um, oh. you are the guest. So I'll let you go first uh, on, on your closing notes. Um, my closing notes. Uh... Yeah, pretty much that. Just like you know, yeah, let, let, you know, let's let's. Uh, I have noticed though the collecting thing. Everyone's going in their own, uh, you know, especially with like Facebook groups and 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 everyone, you know, people have created Facebook groups so that they can go. Well, I've got twenty thousand Brightling people. 
they've been encouraged by advice from friends. What that's done is broken up the communities and made them argue with each other. Mm. I see a lot of arguing like, well, this isn't as good as that, and that's not as good as this. They're almost all exactly the same. They've just got different yeah. names on them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's get let's get it back to being all a bit. It used to just be relics collectors on their own and everyone else. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah. They, they were like the Catholic heretics of of, uh, <laughs> of the internet back in the day. It was like, who's that over there? That's that's the relics collection. Is it like that bit of uh, Life of Brian, where it's uh, the people's front of Judea and the Judea yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what they were like. They were like, how many yeah. relics have you got? And I'm like, well, I have a couple. Well, it's not that many, is it? <laughs> yeah. So in basically, in Watch Heaven, there'd be a wall. I mean, this is an old joke. In Watch Heaven, there's a wall and all the relics collectors used to be on one side and we were all on the other. But now mm. there appears to be lots of walls and everyone's, well, I don't like this. None and me and my speedmasters. Shut up. It's an interesting thing and you're missing out on communicating with lots of very interesting people, I think. Yeah, no, so, I'd agree with you. I agree with you. There's a lot, there's, like I said, or watches are all really much of a muchness as long as they tell the time, you know, that's really yeah. all you care about. Yeah, let's not forget um, that we don't actually need them either. That as well. You know yeah, the yeah, joy yeah. of uh, the joy of an iPhone, and again, like I said people don't get this hat up about phones. Uh, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I did go and have a look at. Uh, yeah, or oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. or but, Pokemon, uh, like Pokemon's. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but um, yeah. So no, I agree with you. Basically, guys, collect what you want, where you what you want. Don't be as much of a dick. You know, all get on. You know, because yeah. uh, like I said, there's a wealth of knowledge out there, and there's some interesting people that you can meet and uh, talk. Most definitely. You know, um, one of them, Daniel. Thank you very much, Alistair. So you, you know, um, but yes, guys, go check out. Um, obviously, follow um, Alistair on all of his uh, social media. Go check out his forum. You know, it's a really good forum. And if you are so inclined, you know, go buy his book um, because it looks really good. Um, my closing notes are well, actually, I've got two uh, which are not watch related and one that is watch related. Um, so the first two are your standard Netflix um, suggestions. So I've been watching Lucifer season six, which is the final season. Uh, if anyone's into that, effectively, it's a, a dramatization of uh, the Neil Gaiman Sandman series. So if you're into your comic books, go read the comic books. I'm not really into them. Um, I'd rather watch the, the show because it's quite funny. Um, but go watch that. That's uh, obviously on Netflix at the moment. And that's um, the last season, I believe, as well. So you've basically done the whole whole story. Um, and then the other thing is a docu-series, a mini docu-series called Turning Point. So Turning Point was released just um, earlier this month um, in tie in effectively um, the 20th anniversary of uh, 9-11 and what it does is it's there to effectively educate you in the events that led up to 9-11 and all the other kind of redacted yeah, information that, too, yeah, yeah. so cool. I'm I'm working my way through that um, obviously with my uh, military background and, and you know uh, what I used to do it's very interesting but I also believe that um, it's very interesting to watch anyway because obviously there's more information coming out of it um, you know, out about it, you know, as time goes on, because of the things can be released, but also, you know, it was such a, a, a forming event in the 20th century, um, 21st century, go go uh, watch it. You know, it's only right that you should do. Um, method, I have method, got- Netflix method. Yeah, yeah. The method is another okay. good one. I didn't know you were going to do Netflix, because- Yeah, it was it was anything just not watch related. So there you go, what's um, the method? Sorry, I just yeah. The method's great, Russian, mad. Okay. 
the technique okay, gotcha serial killer thing, but it's very oh, nice. light, light and a bit dark. It's a brilliant tool and method. Nice. Okay, cool. We'll put that into the show notes. And then uh, I have, unfortunately, I've broken it again. I've got one watch related uh, closing note, uh, but it ties in very well, nicely, Alistair, to what you said earlier about how, you know, we should stop being dicks, kind of get on, you know, let people collect what they want and wear what they want and appreciate it all for, you know, horology and watchmaking and just wearing watches. Um, the World Time event in UK, the, the, the get together, uh, which is being held at Heathrow um, is happening. Uh, it's happening on Saturday. Uh, at Heathrow at the Sofitel Hotel. I've been sharing it in my stories on Timely Moments um, to kind of help get it out there. There is a Facebook group called Divers Watches Facebook group, and there's also the World Time UK event on Facebook. Go search those, get all the details. If you're around to go and, you know, attend, I implore you to do it, because effectively, like you said, you're getting loads of watch geeks in a room, looking at watches, having a beer, uh, and all around having a good time. And I think watch events are obviously clearly normalizing again. You know, things like this are happening again because obviously, you know, the pandemic and restrictions have all lightened off and all that kind of stuff. And I think um, a good watch event is is needed. You know, and like you said, you can meet new, new people, have a beer and look at watches. And I think that's always good. So there are my closing notes. Alistair, thank you very much, mate, for taking out your time with me this evening. Thank you very much. I hope about... I didn't drone on too much. No, not at all um you still uh well i mean the longest episode that i've got and you won't mind me saying this is with commando sundials ads you still have the record mate for the longest zulu time podcast episode but i appreciate it because uh, some of your rants were um hilarious as well so um but no thank you very much alistair for spending uh, an hour and a bit um with me talking about watches um completely sober completely sober no no bottle of wine this time no, uh, no maybe wine. maybe we'll get you on uh, in a future episode and we can uh, you know do it over a bottle of wine um yeah. but yeah other than that i've got nothing else for you guys um other than the next episode like i said at the moment the zulu chart and podcast will be more towards a, a single episode a month that is just because of the um schedule that i'm having with my current career course uh, once it lightens up i'll obviously go back to two episodes a month um all being told, uh, but the next episode will actually be a interview with um, Andreas, who um, runs the Divers Watchers Facebook group, and it and uh, it'll be an overview on how that event went. So if you don't go to the event, effectively, we'll tell you what the event was like, and then hopefully you'll be able to go next year. So that's it, really, guys. Um, until then, guys, take care, and uh, we'll catch you in the next episode.